Well, let me welcome you to the second in this Christmas series that we've got going. And we're looking at the bad news up against the good news. And as we launched into this last week, I didn't have to work really hard to convince everybody that 2020 has been a season of difficult news for, for almost all of us in different ways. And even personally over this past week as I've interacted with some of you, and some folks that I know and that I love that, that uh, God's allowed me to cross paths with throughout my life as they continue to struggle with some of the issues, particularly what the pandemic uh, brings us. And so it's in the midst of bad news that God steps into the world. And that's what I want to talk about today. In fact, today we're going to go right back to the scriptures that I preached last week. And the reason for that is because these scriptures contain what is the most majestic and mysterious miracle in the entire Bible. And here's the word that we use to describe that. It's called this idea of the incarnation. And if you are with us last week and you haven't seen last week's message, I'm going to encourage you to go online and find it. Because we dealt with the whole name of Emmanuel, which is God with us. And it's this idea of the incarnation that God was willing to put on flesh and walk in the planet, come in as a baby and experience life as you and I experience it and have that type of relationship and that type of interaction with us fully human and fully God. Now, that starts baffling the mind, doesn't it? And so what we have in Matthew in the passage that we're going to go back into is that, that an announcement is made and a young woman is pregnant and she's already betrothed or she's engaged. And this is Mary and she is promised to give her life to her future husband, Joseph. And she has to go to Joseph and share this news that she's already expecting a child and Joseph is sure of only one thing. He is absolutely convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's not his child. And so he begins to wrestle with this. And he begins to, to figure out what he's going to do. And Scripture tells us he's a righteous man. And so where he could publicly disgrace her and even bring um, legal action against her that would have some severe consequences for her, He's thinking about divorcing, divorcing her quietly and not using all the leverage that he has that he could bring against her. And so God comes to him in a dream. And what you have in Joseph, and Joseph has an interesting name because his name is reminiscent of an earlier dreamer inside the Old Testament. Joseph that was a slave and had dreams and relayed them to the king of, Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, known as Pharaoh. And then God would deliver on those, on those dreams. Joseph also, the one in the New Testament, has a dream. And so God comes in the dream, and that's where we're going to pick up the story in Matthew chapter 1. And again, these are scriptures that we went over last week, but there's enough here about the incarnation to preach multiple sermons on it. And what I want you to do, if you want to follow along, I want you to open your Bibles, because there's going to be some things that I want you to highlight and make notes of. If you're on an app, I want you to get your app open. If you need to find out where these are located, I've got all the scriptures listed at westernhills.church. 
and I want you to go there. You'll find it under Message, Scripture, and Resources. And I want you to remember that because in one part of this, I'm going to get to a long list of Scriptures, and you're going to want to be able to go back and reference them later in your own study. But remember, Joseph is considering divorcing Mary quietly, and that's his plan. And then he has this dream, and we're going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 20 of the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in your uh, New Testament. Here's what it says. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Just a couple quick notes. First of all, Matthew lets us know that Joseph is in the line of David. That would mean a whole lot to a Jewish person of the time. That meant that Joseph is connected to the king that is the king. It is the one that they always look back to. If you had a model of a king, David was larger than life. He's the one that if a king like David would finally show up, everything that we're worried about, everything that we're anxious about, everything that we're struggling with, life would just get better. If a king like David would show up. And so this is a clue. This is a clue to anybody reading this when Matthew ties it right back and says, Joseph's tied to David. It's like, get ready. There's a king coming. And then he says this, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now once again, this is the step of faith that Joseph had to take. This is the one where when they have that awkward conversation and Mary comes to him and reveals the news that we took the test and it came out positive, that now he's got to understand the source of this miracle. Because Joseph has to use a, a phrase now that doesn't seem like it goes together. He now uses the phrase virgin mother. And those are two words that don't show up in the sentence together under any other circumstances. And I want you to hone in on that word conceived. Because what he's saying is this is conceived by the Holy Spirit, and that doesn't simply mean just in a physical, but that word there, if you go back into the Greek, you get this great idea. It means to initiate, to begin, to create. And in fact, in many ways it could be um, translate the beginnings. Now, if anybody's familiar with their Bible and their Old Testament, does that start to sound like anything else? It starts to sound like the very first book of the Bible, known as Genesis, which means beginnings, which is where we have this incredible story of God creating, and God looks upon the, the creation that is not yet in place on this void, and begins to speak words, and suddenly the creation comes in place. And you have this incredible passage that says, And the Spirit of God hung over the waters and began to form this creation that we knew. The Spirit, once again, is creating again. That's what Matthew wants us to see. Matthew wants us to tie it all the way back to the very beginning. What God did there, He's doing again, and He's initiating this whole incarnation process, which means that it does not require a man 
to be present for God to do what God's going to do. He's not waiting for permission. He's not waiting for anything else. God is initiating it. The Spirit of God is at work, and He is beginning this again. God is the creator, and He's the re-creator in this. And so there's some points of good news that I want you to take away from the Incarnation. And the incar- from this one, I want you to take away the fact that the good news of the Incarnation is that salvation begins and ends with God's effort, not man. See, the only pregnancy in the history of our entire world that did not require man's involvement in this The salvation effort from God begins and ends. You do not will your own salvation effort into existence. God began. Nowhere in the story did it take a group of humans to get together and plan it out just right and be faithful enough and suddenly initiate the process. It began with God's Spirit and it continues in Jesus. And just in the same way that the Spirit was hovering over the waters and creating and bringing forth life. So the Spirit now exists in your life and in my life. And over the church, once again, creating and recreating once again. And that's the blessing, that's the good news of the Incarnation. He goes on. Chapter 1, verse 21. It says after that, she says, She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And once again, we recognize this. In fact, if you're like me, I grew up, I was like, well, obviously, well, that's where he gets his name. Jesus, and I always thought his last name was Christ. Jesus Christ. Mr. Christ, you know, thank you for showing up on the scene. But when he says these words, he actually gives Jesus, I mean, Jesus receives a very common but meaningful name at the day. Because what his name means is that God saves. In fact, Jesus' name, actually, it gets changed up, but it's Jesus or Joshua or Yeshua, as it would have been said um, by the Hebrews. And that means Yahweh saves. And Yahweh is the, the proper name for God. This is how the Israelites would have referred to God. God's people would have thought him as Yahweh. In fact, it was such a holy name that they didn't even speak it out loud. It says, but God saves. And everybody reading this would have thought about another Joshua. See, so much of what Matthew does is he takes us back into the Old Testament, and there's the Joshua that was leading the people. They had come out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And they show up on the scene. And they're about to move into what's called the Promised Land. And a leader rises up called Joshua. And they stand at this crossing of the river, the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage. And beyond them is the land that God has promised. And who will lead them into that? And God calls on Joshua to do that. And through that, his name means God saves. God saves his people. And so once again... Jesus receives this name. He receives all kinds of names at his birth, and we're going to see another one in just a second. But he receives this one. It says, He will save his people from their sins. We have another one that's stepping into the world that's coming like Joshua. And it's a whole new delivery, deliverance from slavery. 
And this is the good news that, of the incarnation. Because what's going to happen is God's going to show up on the scene in the person of Jesus, and he's going to save. And the reason that we need to hear this as good news is because most of us are actually afraid that God's going to show up. Did you ever grow up and you did something bad, and then mama drops the line on you, wait till your dad gets home? My mom never had to because it was always bad enough when she was there. But the idea was when dad gets home, when when this other figure shows up, when this authority figure shows up, you're not going to like it. He's not bringing you a present. In fact, we hear the phrase, I'm going to get you with a certain tone, right? Well, what Matthew is letting us know and Joseph is receiving this message first, is that God's going to show up fully God, fully human. He's going to be on the scene, in time, in place. You're going to be able to touch Him, and He's not showing up to get revenge. He's not showing up because He's going to get you. He's showing up because He wants to win you back. And so the good news of the Incarnation is simply this. God's mission is search and rescue is to search and redeem, not to seek and destroy. See, we have this image that when God shows up, what He really wants to do is He wants to tell us how disappointed He is, how frustrated He is, what a mess we've made of everything. Is that ever helpful? Have you ever been in a low spot in your life and somebody shows up and gives you that, and you go, they go, you've made a mess of things here. And you go, Ah, thanks. Because I didn't know what a mess I'd made. But the incarnation tells us that God shows up to save us from ourselves, and you might not even know that you've needed saving from yourself. It's the process that He initiates on His own, He completes on His own, and He shows up because He would rather die than live without you. The story of Christmas ties directly to the story of Easter. Then he goes on. Verse, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And this is the verse that we locked in on last week. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And once again, last week we talked about all the ways that it meant to have God in the flesh, that God came into this world through a birth canal, that God experienced life in the way that you and I experienced life, with hunger and weariness and dirty diapers. And he did all of that because he wanted to be with us. Once again, the, the incarnation is baffling when you stop to think about it. Fully God, fully human, in a manger, in a trough for animals. The part that I want you to focus in on this week is when Matthew says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, they will call him Emmanuel, and then he goes on to promise that this was done so that it could be fulfilled. And he uses this language of, of it being fulfilled 
of what was written to be fulfilled. And that is the first time that Matthew uses this language, and he's going to use it 12 different times throughout this gospel. And I've put these verses into our westernhills.church. If you want to go there, you'll find all these verses. But I'm going to touch on just something real quick. This one, he talks about what's going to be fulfilled because of the prophecy of it's going to come from a virgin. Matthew 2.15, that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord through his prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I will call my son. Matthew 2.17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. He goes on and on and on. You can see all those references all the way up to around the crucifixion at the very end where he's depicting Christ's betrayal and the price of the 30 pieces of silver which fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. Time and time and time again, Matthew tells us, God promised it and it was fulfilled. And so the third good news that I want you to understand from the incarnation is this. What God promises in his word, he provides in the world. What God promises in His Word, He provides in the world. There's even ways to look back at these and go, I'm not even sure that those were actually promises, but they were to God. And when He says it, He provides it. When He says it, He fulfills it. And the incarnation tells us that when God shows up on the scene, what He's doing is He's making good on all of His promises that are in His Word, and He will make good on His promises that are there that we're still hoping for and cling to today. When He says, I will not leave you or forsake you, He means it. I will not leave you or forsake you even when 2020 rolls around. I will not leave you nor forsake you even at your worst. I will not leave you nor forsake you even when you try to run from me. There's the promise. So even in the midst of all the bad news, even in the midst of all that we struggle with, we have a God that again and again and again and again throughout history fulfills his word. And that's what Matthew wants us to know and to understand. <clears throat> After this dream, we have, we have this, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Remember how the dream starts. Remember when Joseph goes to bed that night, he's making a plan to distance himself from Mary. Because of this dream, nothing in the situation has changed. Mary is still pregnant by questionable means. He still has to face the scrutiny and the judgment and the gossip that he's going to endure. He will go into a relationship knowing that, that this is not his child. Are you aware that Joseph is not referred to as his father in any of this passage? And he knows this. And so when he wakes up, the only difference is that he's got a direction from the Lord. He's got an invitation to take a next step, and that's exactly what Joseph does. He takes the next faithful 
step, and in that he becomes a model for ourselves. Even in the middle of craziness that we're experiencing right now, the invitation of, 20, of the incarnation is to take the next faithful step. Joseph had no way of knowing what the path was going to lead to. And it's actually going to cause him to have to go and hide with his family, leave his country of origin, go hide in Egypt from Herod that wants to wipe his son from the face of the earth and be in exile for a while. Joseph didn't know that, but all he knows is that when he wakes up, the next faithful step that he's asked to take is to simply go and love and be with and be faithful to and raise, be faithful to Mary and raise Jesus. Take that on his own. So Joseph wakes up and he takes that very next step to him. And what he needs to do is to go and see his wife-to-be and step faithfully into that. What do you need to step faithfully into? What, what do you need to take as a next step? Where is God calling you in all the middle of this to come and be a part? What, what, what's the thing that looks like it's too big, but when you put it up against God with us, it loses its anxiety. It loses its fear. I'll leave you with this. In high school, <clears throat> if you wanted to slide into someone's DMs and let you know that you were interested in them, we had a unique way of doing that. We used this technology right here. Do you love me? Yes, no, maybe. Now, what you need to understand is how this worked. It, it, it wasn't a simple, I write the note, and then I passed it to the girl that I had a big old crush on. See, I would write the note in first period, and I'd give it to Bobby, who in second period would give it to Johnny, in third period who gave it to Lisa, who then took it through lunch and made it to fifth period to get to the girl that I wanted. Okay? I know. It was a lot of work for love, Right? So this is how we used to have to communicate, and the note would just get passed on, passed on. So I never actually had to face the girl. I just knew that at some point I would get a note back because it would go back through that whole chain, and it ended up back, back in my hands, and hopefully it was checked with a big old yes, or at least a maybe. I don't know why we put maybe on there. You know, maybe is one of those words that I have no more information after you answer it than I did before. But I guess it was just my fear of not wanting to be hurt too bad. Now... This worked in junior high and high school. It was not a good strategy for me to go and propose to my wife. Not the note, but where I pay. I've got a note, will you marry me? Will you pass it? And 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 pass it? So I don't even have to actually be there when she receives it. And why is that a bad strategy? Because that's not what love requires, is it? Here's what I love. David Platt says this. In matters of love, one must go themselves. For God so loved the world that he came himself. That's the incarnation. Will you step towards that this week?
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you have sent Jesus, the one that says that you save. You have sent Emmanuel, the one that says you're with us. You have fulfilled promise after promise after promise. Father, as you are in your redemptive work that, that's by your hand, by your power, let us lean into this truth of incarnation that you drew near to us. Help us to get our minds and our hearts around this mystery and this majesty of it all. But Father, help us to rely on this truth at its very core. That because you loved us, you showed up and you drew near to us. You're above us in all your glory but you're nearest in your grace. And for that, we're grateful. And let that be the message of Christmas that we carry with us this week and all year long. In the name of Jesus, the one that came, the one that occupied that manger where we have our hope, but we pray, amen.